Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Half Street to High Heat, where uh, we do episodes for some reason, despite this offseason having absolutely nothing to talk about. I am Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at NationalZace. I'm joined by my two OG co-hosts. For once, uh, Amanda has decided not to fall asleep when we're going to record. It was one time. But that's all it takes. Uh, She's joining me. You can follow her on Twitter at uh, I almost said National Zace. That's me again. Uh, at a white seven eight seven seven and Ryan, of course, the three no trivia god. At we are all Shack. Uh, it's been a while. So uh, how you guys been? What you guys been up to? Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Excellent. I uh, we had a big family Thanksgiving. I love the holidays and uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas are my fave. So it was really nice. Um, other than that, there's you know lots of. Lots of baseball to watch, lots of hockey to watch, or lots of baseball news yeah, to watch, not baseball yeah, itself. Lots of baseball to watch. Lots of hockey to watch. And uh, I have one piece of, of uh, really exciting news, which is we are getting a puppy and he's going to be here in four days. So I am. What kind of dog? He is a mini beagle. Did you adopt? Yes. Okay. All right. That's all I care about. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I. I I take that back. I care about one more thing. What's the name? Max, which we can talk about later in the show. I don't want to talk about it right <laughs> yeah. now. I'm a little verklempt. <laughs> that, I, it's not too late to change. <laughs> I know. He's not even here yet. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, no, I'm good. He's, yeah, he has heterochromia, so he kind of has to be Max. Oh, that's just He's, extremely But we are actually calling him Maximus Prime because my five-year-old son, Joaquin, had um, d- decided he wanted to be Optimus Prime for Halloween this year, and he could never remember the name and kept calling him Maximus Prime. So that's what we're going to call the dog is Maximus Prime. So Max yeah. for short. Th- that that works, I guess, sort of. Ryan, uh, what you been up to? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, my Thanksgiving was absolutely fantastic. Um, I ate a lot of food. <laughs> like as you should no no like i i normally eat a lot on thanksgiving but i i was really excited i balled out at the turkey bowl i didn't eat breakfast <laughs> i i, I wow. know I, I i made my way to the charcuterie board i will admit but i was starving come three o'clock right so i piled up my plate and i went nuts my mom makes puts like spicy sausage in the stuffing which by the way mm. stuffing's the best thanksgiving food and so i had a lot I couldn't touch dessert. 
I was so disgustingly full that I thought I was going to blow up. And then like when everyone finally left, I was like lying down, like just decompressing, trying to come to terms with the fact that I just ate like three small children's worth of food. Finn decides he's going to come and knead on my stomach. And every single time he kneed, I thought everything I ate. (laughs) I I thought I was going to like blow on, like just like everything was going to come back up on Finn, but we were good. Gave it an hour, got myself some pie. And then Way to rally, great. Ryan. Really Absolutely. <laughs> Always have to rally. And then I had leftover sandwiches and then leftover for dinner for like the next three days. So I'm kind of over it right now. But oh yeah, my we're God. We're still trying to get through our leftovers too. You said, like some, you, you said something very controversial, but I have to address. I was about to go there. Stuffing is nowhere near the top. It is near the top. Thing. You're wrong. No, you, just, you just you just haven't had good stuffing. It's not that, the that's, top. That's for me, absolutely but it's very close true. To the top. That's absolutely true. Trust I had, me. I had you, this conversation with Devante too. I, I know I haven't had good stuff good stuffing, but spicy the stuffing sausage I stuffing sounds delicious. That, my mom makes a bourbon me. pecan cornbread. No, that stuffing. sounds good. Oh my that god, sounds that sounds good. incredible. It's but so like good. by itself, like people try to pass it off. It is not good. If you do stuff to it, obviously it's good. Like plain chicken oh, no, isn't no. good. But if you, if you do stuff to the chicken, it's good. You, know, you, in need, a normal- you need to have my mom's stuffing. It's it changes the game on stuffing. It's so good. Ryan, my God. <laughs> you know, in a, in a normal off-season episode where we would have nothing to talk about, like a draft of Thanksgiving foods would be fun. But um, we do have pro- kind of a lot. He's um, last. <laughs> I don't think I would put stuffing at the very top. For me, it's the sweet potato. I make a sweet potato souffle, ah, so think, it's not. Ooh. It's not. Is it, the, is it the, the marshmallows? The marshmallows? No, uh, no, no. Then it's, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> it's better than that because it's a sweet potato souffle. So it's got this fabulous texture, and then on top is a it's a topping of brown sugar and pecans and oats and it's just like this fabulous streusel topping. And when you cook it, it gets kind of like crunchy, almost like creme brulee, where you have to like break through it. But see, my, it's so good. My mother-in-law does something similar where it's sweet potatoes with the, the pecans like kind of chopped up. So it's not like huge chunks, but chopped up. So it's in, in it. And then it's topped with the marshmallows. That That's it's like, it, it's, a, it's a good switch up from this. I'm a big sweet and savory guy. Love mm. me some sweet and savory, sweet and salty. Anything, you know, that, that juxtaposition I'm all for. So when you get... You know, your starches, like your, your mashed potatoes and maybe your rolls or, or, or whatever else you have. And then obviously your gravy and your turkey and everything else you got going on. I like that little uh, switch up to something more sweet. So that way, mm-hmm. when you go back to the savory, it hits just as hard as that first bite. Yeah, that's a little cranberry is good, too. A little something sweet. With I've, all opened, those starches I've opened and up the foods. cranberries. Didn't used to like them, but I've opened up for that reason, because it is a nice little palate cleanser. It is. Like Joaquin calls it jello. Uh, like, Can I have some more jello? <laughs> put put booze in your cranberry sauce. Thank you later. Mm, put booze <laughs> in everything. That's good yeah. advice. But speaking of uh putting booze, booze, which I need after Max Scherzer's a met. Right. Yeah. We we mentioned <laughs> it, it earlier and uh it's really the, the logical place to start. It, it was the biggest signing of the offseason to date. Uh and arguably could be the the, the most uh, impactful and largest free agent signing of the entire offseason. The Nationals have re-signed Luisa Avilan to a $600,000 deal. As um, well done, Nick. <laughs> want, want, wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that and how that impacts the Nationals' future. 
and uh you know your, your hopes that i don't care yeah max sure is assigned obviously that's the biggest news in a long line of uh, moves that have gone on so I, I was writing them down since because uh it's been a week since our last episode i was writing all the, the moves down that we need to talk about on our rundown 14 teams have either signed traded or extended players and that's not including the nats luis avilon that was kind of just thrown in there because you know it's part of the bit 14 other teams have made moves so far so don't let anyone tell you oh plenty of teams aren't signing free agents the nats are fine no this i am like red flag what the hell are we doing mode right now nothing is the answer and and this has nothing to do with max scherzer we talked about during the the time of the trade we all accepted max scherzer was not coming back even prior to the season it was a long shot that max scherzer would be coming back so this isn't anything to do with that but the fact that 14 other teams including teams like the pirates uh including teams like the marlins the i guess the angels but the, the rangers the, the Twins, like, they're all doing stuff, and the Nats aren't. Granted, it's, it's a new era for the Nats and whatnot, but it's a little bit alarming. But back to, you know, what, what we started talking about. Max Scherzer obviously signing a record contract to go to the division rival, or I guess former division rival for Max. Uh, NL East rival, New York Mets, three years, $130 million. Mm. I mean... Can you even, how can you even be mad like that number? Like, how can you 43 million a year? Like, I mean, I can, can be mad really... that it's not given to me. Yeah, well, there is that. But yeah, I don't know. I just I am so upset that he went to the Mets, but it's not as hard as I think it would have been because there was no expectation of him coming back here. I wish it weren't in the NL East. But again, when you look at that number, you're like, if somebody offers you that kind of money, you you freaking take it. You know what I mean? Like, what are you gonna? What are you gonna do? And he's got an opt out after the second year, but the yeah, team but, doesn't, which is interesting. Like, yeah, because another team's an gonna give him forty three million dollars right. at his age forty season. Yeah, and it's an overpay. Obviously, I mean, there's no question about that. I, you know, I love Max Scherzer. I'm about to name my freaking dog after him, but um, he, you know, he's amazing when he's amazing, and maybe he's got another year or two like that in him. But I can't imagine he's got three, and. uh you know, he's got some injury history and he's, he's going to be 38, his 38, 39 and 40 year old seasons. So it's a huge overpay from the Mets, but they sure are um, spending like drunken sailors. So it should be interesting. And, you know, in a year where the Nats are not even trying to be competitive, you know, the, the Marlins made a couple of moves, but you know, if the Mets are going to try to go for it, like why the hell not go for it? Steve Cohen certainly doesn't seem to mind spending money. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, don't care at all that he signed <laughs> with the Mets, to be completely honest. You genuinely do not care. Um, Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom healthy is going to be very, very fun so to watch. And I'm really excited for that because that is a historically good combination. Um, it doesn't matter. Like Max had no more ties to Nationals anymore. Nats traded him. Um, they got two very good prospects back in that deal. Nats did not try to sign him in free agency, rightfully so. There's like with no, that number, yeah, I don't think we would have been in that. I mean, that's that's that. even Our, the Dodgers were out. Yeah. yeah, and the Dodgers, you know, they just. Well, looked, I don't think anybody was in at those numbers. I can't imagine. No, they 
they were basically bidding against themselves. They had to overpay to get him to come, but this is also a signing that shows the rest of the league that, Hey, this is a new era, new ownership. And like, mm-hmm. we mean business, you know, everyone knows the LOL Mets. They've had quite a lot of LOL Mets under Cohen. Um, you know, pretty recently when Cohen angrily tweeted about how ridiculous it was that Matt's didn't come back to like match the offer. So then he goes out and signs Max Scherzer. So that kind of worked out pretty yeah, well. That, for him. That'll uh, salve your wounds if you just lost Stephen Matt's. Be like, how about Max Scherzer instead? Yeah, I know. Like, and so the payroll's thing at 265 million, they're still <laughs> not done. Uh, they're probably going to add another starting pitcher and they're going to keep adding bullpen pieces. I like when teams spend. I am never going to say anything negative when a team spends. So good for them. You know, they want to win. They realize they're in New York and they have a rich ass owner. And he's saying, you know what? Let's go wild. Right, exactly. And they've got the fan base with, you know, they can sell enough merch and sell enough tickets to support it. But one more point I want to make about this is for all the Nats fans that were pissed off that Max got traded away, I would just like to point out that he was going to leave in free agency at the end of the season anyway. There's no chance we would have come anywhere close to signing him for what he just got. And we've got a bunch of nice prospects in return. So I, I just, you know, want to take a moment to, to, to point that out to the people who were mad. Like Max, he, he, he didn't come here as a rookie. You know, he was a hired gun when he came and he did exactly what they paid him for. Maybe the best contract in the history of baseball, what he did for the Nats and what we paid him. And, uh, you know, I'm, I just, I, it hurts me that he's a Met, but he was going to go somewhere else in free agency anyway. And, uh, yeah, I think he did exactly here. He did exactly what we paid him to do. And, uh, it's a great thing. We've got four really nice prospects in return, two of which are the, our future, you know, pitching, catching combo. That's going to be really, really important for this team going forward. Yeah, I mean, I echo all of your thoughts. I have no problem with it. Like I said earlier, uh, it sucks, obviously. But (laughs) listen, when anyone's able to finesse $43 million a year out of a franchise, especially when you're 37 and past your prime, like, and that's not to say Max isn't good. Obviously, he still very much is, but... I made, the, I made the joke earlier that he's going to go into hall of fame as a Met just because of how much he was able to fleece the Mets <laughs> like this hat that had to be part of the deal. Like he was going to go in a Met, which I would 100% respect. So like you're going in. Yeah, if you fame gave anyways. me 130 million to wear a different hat in the hall of yeah. fame, I'd be like, cool. I can yeah, do that. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's going to suck. Uh, it, it also sucks that the Nats haven't even played a game yet let alone spring training in the 2022 season. And they're already, uh, they have an 0-2 record. <laughs> well, I was going to say 0-2 record, but, you know, teach their own. Um, so it's not like stinks. they've done nothing. I just saw from Matt Wyrick, a best friend of the, of the pod, that uh, Andrew Stevenson has avoided arbitration. And uh, yeah, well, so, you know, maybe they're going to have him. Next. We don't reward people for doing the bare minimum, which is why we give you shit all the time. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> just aggressive for no reason at all. I'm angry, okay? <laughs> at me? No, no, no not at you. <laughs> Although, yeah, we'll I know. See how I the was pouting goes. earlier. I think Ryan told me to go sit in a corner earlier because I was being pissy about Max Scherzer signing with him. And yeah. did you? I did not. I was at work, so there were no corners <laughs> handy. But 
you're in your corner office. That's what it was. There you go. Yeah. Me with my corner office. Yeah. But as lots of other things to talk about. Oh yeah. Uh, Like Ryan said earlier, the Mets, that was not the only move they made. They kicked off this kind of frenzy they were on. Well, really kicked off by Matt's not signing with them, but then it was kind of, uh, rectified or whatever by them signing three well i guess escobar is kind of a, a hybrid guy but two outfielders and a third base slash outfielder second base slash outfielder eduardo escobar mark canna and starling Marte, all mm-hmm. signed with the mets before they even really signed a pitcher or went or turned their focus to pitching um so the mets are trying to not be the lol mets anymore they haven't even hired their manager yet Keep in mind, nobody Max knows who's the pl- manager. No, I made that joke earlier too. Which for that money, you might as well. Uh, you could do worse. Um, but I mean, they're they're trying hard not to be the LOL Mets anymore. Do you? It comes down to: Do you think they will not be the LOL Mets? I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just with <laughs> with the way this team is, like with how nosy new york media is they're gonna find something on somebody um this the gm they almost hired he had some really interesting clients he represented when he was a the lawyer. former nats guy yeah um there was some people in the middle east who may or may not been part of a terrorist cell that he represented so they should be really happy That's that fun. They didn't hire him because that would have been fun. But instead, this GM also has a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of demons as well. Some pretty bad things he oversaw, but the LOL Mets are always going to be there. When you um, when you look at the signings, Escobar doesn't really move the needle. He's a solid player. He's going to struggle defensively, but he's going to be average offensively. He's going to hit 20 some odd home runs for them. That's fine for a six heater. Um, Marcana really good deal um why do we like him because he gets on base um great on base guy also pretty good defender and he could play all three outfield positions i really really like that move for the mets i wanted the nats to get him um just because again he gets really good deal too like yeah not team friendly but it would have been fine for the nats to pull off yeah like he he's a good deal um i really love the starling Marte deal I really like him as a player. He's a five-war player. He's good. He can play center field, which is important because the Mets didn't really have that. Um, He's quick. He's a little older, so they're going to be paying him into his late 30s, but that's fine just because players age rather well, especially hitters. Um, His speed might start to fade a little bit, but if the Mets win like a division title or something in the first two years of the Marte deal, they're not going to care how he is in the second half. Those are good moves. Um, that little Mets are never going to go away though. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. There's something about the Mets that lends itself to clownery. So, I mean, they're going to be better on the field, but I still think there will be some kind of nonsense off the field to keep us all amused. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can always count on the Mets. It's like one of the most consistent mm-hmm. uh, properties or, you know, happenings in, in baseball is that you can always count on the Mets to be the Mets. Um, but like we talked about, there's a ton, a ton of moves to address. Uh, let's go back to the one that kind of sparked this, uh, this fury of moves by the Mets and that's Steven Matz, uh, opting not to return to the Mets, which nobody could blame him. 
he instead signs with the Cardinals who needed pitching were, uh, you know, early on in the offseason, maybe rumored to be in on Max Scherzer, like hometown uh, for Max and whatnot. He signs a four year, $44 million deal, really solid lefty innings leader, had a nice year last year with Toronto. Uh, any quick thoughts on, on Steven Matz and the Cardinals chances? I mean, they were a playoff team. It feels like a lifetime ago since we talked about the playoffs, Didn't but we all the, pick Car- them to- the Cardinals were there. Didn't we pick them all to win the central before uh, the season started? Yeah, I Didn't mean, we all I did. pick them. I think so. So just a wacky season, and I know for a lot of teams. Yeah, I mean, I you know they needed to make they needed to make a move. They needed pitching, and you know it's it's a solid move. I, I thought it was hysterical the way he um, troll you know the way, what he did with the Mets by basically making them think he was going to come back and then not doing it. So yeah, I mean it it definitely improves their their rotation, but I don't think it's a you know, blockbuster kind of a thing. I think if he had gone back to the Mets, they probably wouldn't have signed Scherzer, I'm thinking, or maybe they still would have. I don't know. Cohen seems like a crazy person, but um, maybe it works out for both clubs in the long run. Yeah. Ryan, any thoughts? Don't mind me. Um, I was just muted. It's a good deal. Um, I think Matt's is a Honestly, he's a good pitcher. Like it's someone people don't really talk about just because everywhere he's pitched, there's always been a bigger fish in the rotation. So he kind of gets a little thrown under the radar. Um, you know, he's a good middle of the rotation guy. He's not your ace. Cardinals need pitching. It's a very solid deal. They're going to get exactly what they need out of him. He's going to have a mid three ERA, which again, you're never going to complain about when that's your guy. Yeah, like he's going to be a good signing for them. He should do pretty well in that ballpark. It's a good baseball town, which he tweeted he's excited about, but he's forever going to be a Mets legend just because the chain of events from Cohen's tweet to everything that followed yeah, after. Didn't he also say something about can't wait to play for the best fans in baseball or something? I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just absolute <laughs> troll. And I'm so here for it. Love it. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, a, a good Mets troll is undefeated for sure. Um, I'm going to do my best to kind of keep this in line. But like I said, there's a lot. I'll, I'll go kind of in order that this happened, but also I'll like kind of lump the signings together if multiple moves were made by the same team. Um, to take it back to last week, which again feels like a lifetime ago, uh, Wander Franco signed uh, you know, a, a very – yeah, t- I would say team friendly. Like, yeah, he, he he's a rookie, but <laughs> with uh, what he could get, uh, definitely team friendly. Yeah, eleven eleven year, one hundred eighty two million, better than Acuna, better than Albies for sure, but certainly not to the level of you know Fernando Tatis or anything like that. But eleven year, one hundred eighty two million, and what's really funny, and I'm not saying I pointed this out, but many people caught on to the fact that you know for the first four years he's like. 5 million to 8 million. And then when it jumps to 25 million, uh, you can tell <laughs> they're there. He's going to get traded. <laughs> he is absolutely going to oh, get right. Traded. Cause it's the race. They're not going to right. Yeah. When it jumps from like 8 million to 25 million and uh, no, no, there is not a no trade clause in there as well. So, you know, that that's definitely going to happen. Very team friendly deal. I'm you know, obviously it's a huge amount of money, but I am surprised that he did it. He did say, 
I pulled up the thing. Let me find the tab I have open with it. He said, the one thing I want to do is bring a championship to the organization. The race have given me the support that I need, the development, the people that they have here. I wish to stay here for my whole career. First of all, sorry about your luck, buddy, because they're not going to pay you. But, you know, that it's, it's something to say, like he wants to be there. So, you know, taking what's ultimately a discount you know, for a guy from, you know, he's from the Dominican Republic, he's, it's a huge amount of money. And he also said something about just being able to concentrate on what he's doing. He says with this, I can help my family and have nothing on my mind when I'm playing on the field. Like he just wants the security. And that's, I totally respect that. You know, maybe you could have gotten more money, but now you don't have to think about it. Yeah. We've talked about that for the perspective of the young guys coming out of the Dominican or wherever they come from, uh, just international signings in general, that security is something they've never had before certainly so uh the chance to you know lock yourself up for 10 years and just not have to worry about it and have all those guarantees uh is very enticing so i don't blame them it's just frustrating at, at the same time not i'm not the even Nats talking, can never do it <laughs> well that but i'm not even talking about in terms of Juan soto it's just like you know i'm not trying to say that the agents aren't doing their jobs but you could at least let it play out a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, I would take that 182 million. I know, but I, I, I think you're right about the agents. I think the fact that they, you know, the agents are looking at a payday like that and they're going to, you know, maybe go, okay, let's just do it. Where, you know, really the what's in the best interest of the player is to, you know, take you know, bet on yourself a little bit, probably. And just and a go, little bit. Yeah. Let I mean, it look at Tatis. He, he didn't, I don't think he had even played a, a full season of games. And then, uh, you know, granted, he, he signed a crazy deal, but who's to say Wander Franco couldn't, you know, have pulled off something? So, well, it's the Rays, so maybe not. Maybe that is a good good deal by Wander Franco, considering he plays for the Rays. But Ryan, did you have any <laughs> thoughts on the on the extension? Yeah, I I hate these deals. I just I I don't like these deals at all. Um, they do these pretty young ends, so it's only. He only played 70 games. And people are like, oh, wow, like he got this much money. He put up three and a half war in 70 games, which is absolutely absurd. Mm-hmm. But there is a very long trend, a very disturbing trend of MLB front offices using predatory behavior to get foreign-born players to sign bad deals. And this is nothing new. We saw it with Ronald Cunha. We saw it with Ozzy Alves. Those two contracts are just a complete albatross. It's a very concerning trend in major leagues. We've seen the same predatory behavior happen. So minor leaguers don't have to get paid. I don't like these deals. I'm never going to. Players always get about a third of what they should. Look at the way that's backloaded. He's not getting paid what he should. Um, people are going to see the 180 million, be like, oh, wow, you know, like he only played 70 games. He's getting that much money. Wander Franco is a once in a lifetime talent. He is a very, 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 very good player and he's a elite player. He should be getting more than that. Same with Ron Acuna. Ron Acuna is a six war player and he got, you know, 112 million over 10 years. That's absolutely atrocious. Ron Acuna should be getting well more than triple that. I don't like these deals and I, I never will. And that that's perfectly fine. I'm just, I'm not saying like, I like them. I just understand them from the player's perspective because, uh, you know, I, I probably would take it too. I mean, you, you never know with injury, how many promising players have we seen have like a good start to the career and then fall off due to injury or just, you know, whatever else comes through. And so I'm not even necessarily advocating for the player. I'm just saying, I understand. 
but frustrating, uh, you know, especially when you do factor in soda to the decision because we're staring down 500 million if we wanted to pull off something like that. So who knows if that ever happens? I wish we could get lucky with a player who was just looking for security. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I I can't fully uh, exonerate the Nats, but just from an outside perspective, maybe it's a good thing because they're not necessarily engaged in predatory behavior with these young guys. They're not forcing them to sign long, long. Oh, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm giving the Nats that much credit. It's not like they wouldn't do it if they could, they just haven't had the opportunity. Listen, I'm just trying to find a damn silver lining, Amanda. Jesus. Um, the other move by the Rays, which, you know, as expected with a team like the Rays and the, the pitching, they do pump out. They signed Corey Kluber to a one year, $8 million deal. Uh, so expect him to be a Cy Young candidate again next year. Um, moving on to another AL playoff team, the White Sox signed Kendall Graveman to a three-year, $24 million deal. He had a great year as a closer. He was with Seattle and then traded to Houston, very infamously in uh, the Seattle clubhouse. Was not a fan of that move. Uh, thoughts on the White Sox going back to pitching, really. That team's kind of built on pitching. So thoughts on them continue to going back. To that pitching. bullpen is good. Um, and Craig Kimbrell's getting traded. They got Graveman, who's better right now than Craig Kimbrell, and Craig Kimbrell is pretty good. They have Colome uh, too, right? Didn't they trade for him? They have Colome and they have Liam Hendricks. They have a very oh, good back end. Oh, yeah, and it's kind of obnoxious because share the wealth, but and the crotch rocket. <laughs> it's Graveman. Graveman's good. That was a really good deal. I completely forgot that happened, and I kind of jealous but this basically confirmed that craig kimbrell is going to get traded they're going to find someone to take his contract because if not they're spending a lot of money on three relievers and they got to get some starting pitching in there so i think they're going to trade that 18 million that kimbrell's owed this year i think i think their starting pitching is granted it always always could be better but they have uh, Lance Lynn, they have Dallas Keuchel, they have Lucas Giolito, they have some young guys who may or may not pan out. Ronaldo Lopez, former Nat. Uh, they have another prospect. I think they have Dane Dunning, another former Nat from the infamous mm-hmm. trade that I will not mention his name, but the trade uh, that shall not be named. Right. All right. Certainly they could add a starter because they are losing Rodon. Presumably they could re sign him, but um, that, I think that team needs more bats. Like Jose Breu has been solid, but and he's getting older. Yasmani Grandal, solid, but he's getting older. And, uh, you know, his bat's always been above average for a catcher. But when, you know, that declines, like it's going to be noticeable. So I think they really need another bat. Uh, but I, I have no problem with this deal either. If you can get Kendall Graveman for that kind of deal, you do it. Yeah, he's, you know, he's got, he's kind of just coming out. You know, he's just beginning to, to be a really um, important reliever and, you know, Craig Kimbrell is what Craig Kimbrell is. Everybody knows what he's been in the past. I don't know what, as we've talked about many times, relievers are volatile. You never kind of know what you're going to get from year to year. But I agree with you, Ryan, that as soon as they signed Graveman, um, Kimbrell was on his way out the door. Just all that remains to be seen is where he winds up and what they can get in return for him. Yep. Uh, Sticking with the AL Central, the Twins locked up their young guy. Uh, Seems to be a theme here. Uh, Byron Buxton signs a seven year. What did it end up being like a hundred million on the dot? Is that right? Is it a hundred? I think it was a hundred million. Yeah. Seven year. Yeah, correct. Million. So seven year, hundred million. He had a great year last year. He was banged up, but he had a great year, but that, that contract was surprising to me. Like 
both the the length and the dollar amount, or I guess mainly the AAV, because if you do that, it's fifteen. What? Yeah. So I mean, I I think that's pretty solid for both sides. It was just surprising that that's the conclusion uh, they landed on. What were your guys' thoughts? Um, yeah, 100, 15 million AAV for Buxton seems like a pretty good deal for the team and, and for him too. I mean, it's a nice long deal. I, I haven't read the specifics of opt-outs and that kind of thing in the contract. So I don't know exactly, you know, how that will play out over that time, but you know, that's the kind of money you, you might spend on like middle of the road guys. So it, it seems to me like to lock up a guy like Buxton for that price tag is a solid move for the twins. I don't know what else they planned for their off season. So you know, kind of remains to be seen what, what they are, you know, how aggressive are they going to be? Are they, you know, really trying to compete next year? But I don't know. I like this deal for them and for him. Buxton is a very good player. He put up four and a half war in 60 games. That's a little over a 12 war place. Mm -hmm. The problem is 46, 92, 140, 28, 87, 39, 61. Those are his games played in every single season. Mm -hmm. That's why his contract was seven for 100. He's a great player. He's just never healthy. If he can stay healthy, that's a fantastic deal. And it's loaded with incentives that he should hit. If he's healthy, you just never know the man's going to be healthy. Yeah. History. If there's any indication and it usually is, he's unlikely to be playing full seasons, but you know, again, that's money you might spend on an otherwise lesser player, you know, who you could count on for health. So I think it's a decent gamble for the twins. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's not much else going for that franchise at the moment. Uh, a couple of other AL uh, East moves. Red Sox signed Michael Waka. That's their splash of the offseason so far. Um, and then the Blue Jays continue to make moves. We talked about last episode how they extended Jose Barrios. Well, they got him a partner in crime. They went out and signed Kevin Gosman, who uh, is replacing Robbie Ray in the rotation, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, five years, $110 million. So he goes from the Bay to Canada up north. They also signed uh, Yimi Garcia to bolster the bullpen a little bit. Solid reliever. Thoughts on the Blue Jays really going for it. In a tough division, too. That's exactly it. They are in a very good division. They won more games than the Braves and the Braves won the World Series. They have a good team. They have a good lineup. They did lose Simeon, but that's okay. They're going to try to supplement that with some pitching. And I really like their squad. They have a great, great mix of young and veterans. And they're an exciting team. Last year, they probably peaked a little bit too early. They should be able to gain on that this year. And they're going to be able to make some noise and compete in what's going to be the best division in baseball once again and it's gonna be really exciting and again absolutely love when teams you know build on what they did and start going for it and they are so hopefully they can build on that and make the playoffs again this year it's funny that the, yeah. nats, playoffs were, this year. the nats were the deciding factor in the blue jays not getting to the playoffs <laughs> they were going to be the deciding factor in yeah. something i suppose yeah exactly yeah. So, um, you know, losing Robbie Ray is, is hurtful, I'm sure, but um, signing Kevin Gosman is a pretty nice, um, nice way to make your fans feel better about that. And obviously Simeon is a big loss as well, but I agree with you, Ryan. It's, I like the blue Jays. They were so fun to watch last year. I'm excited to watch them again. 
I mean, you've got to keep pace in a division like the AL East if they tried to sit back and kind of, you know, just see what happens. Like, okay, well, we lost a couple of guys. Let's see what we've got. And, you know, we can make moves at the deadline. They'd be out of it by the deadline. You've got to be aggressive in that division. And uh, I think they're going to be just as much fun to watch this year as this coming year as they, they were last year. And uh, yeah, hopefully they, they make a deep run. I, I'd love to see Vladdy in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh yeah. We need some uh, Vlad cakes in, in the playoffs, <laughs> um, but Houston moving on to the AL West, which might be the AL best in terms of off season. Um, they're the off season division winners, at least uh, Houston, off the field. Right. Houston uh, lost Yimi Garcia, replaced him with Hector Neris, uh, stealing him from Philly. Um, and then Seattle stole Robbie Ray. Well, I guess it was kind of after the fact. So Seattle got Robbie Ray, formerly of the Blue Jays, a LSI Young Award winner this year. Uh, Seattle was one game away from the playoffs, too. Not only that, they traded for Adam Frazier, which was another kind of odd deal because Adam Frazier was just acquired by the Potteries at the trade deadline this past season and had years of control, I think one more year but still had control left. So it was an odd move for the Padres to kind of punt in, in regard. Maybe they're just trying to replenish their farm a little bit because they did make a lot of trades. Uh, but Seattle, they are going for it too, and they have the longest active playoff drought uh, of any team. So thoughts on Seattle trying to go for it. And another kind of sneaky, tough division. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The West I- is going to be so much fun. Sorry, Amanda. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Um, the West is going to be fun. You know, for years, it's, it's been the bad division. The A's always made the playoffs, but was it like, are the A's good or is the A's just feasting on bad teams? And the fact that they could never win in the playoffs shows maybe it was the latter. Um, Houston's going to be good again. Like Houston is always good. So all these other teams are seeing their opportunity and they are going for it. And I absolutely love it. You know, the Mariners, great thing building on what they did last year, which they made a great late playoff run. Yeah. They didn't make the playoffs. So it went on a run and they're building on it and they're not done yet, which is great to see. They're still talking about Chris Taylor and um, excuse me. And Chris Bryant, which is absolutely great to see the angels building on it. They got some pitching with Noah Syndergaard, which they desperately need. They still need more pitching. And then it's like a long time ago already. The best uh, literally the biggest moves so far, they spent over 500 million. The Rangers, who lost 102 games last year, are absolutely going for it. Their fans have to be ecstatic. They haven't done anything since 2012. Um, so many great things have happened in their stadium, but not things they've done. It's just what everyone else is doing. They get it. It's two of the best free agents on the market. Marcus, uh, yeah, Marcus Simeon and Carlos Curry, not Carlos Curry, excuse me, Corey Seager, who I said was going to get over 300 million. And he did 10 years, 325 million. And then they also got John Gray and they're not done. They want to get Clayton Kershaw as well. These are just teams that are going for it. And these are teams that don't normally spend. And I absolutely love it. The Mariners know it's their time. The Rangers are sending a signal to the rest of the league that, hey, we're ready. We want to start making our push to compete in the next couple of years. Let's go. Angels are finally starting to realize that you need pitching along with the best players in baseball because they already have three of them. So, yeah, this is going to be really fun. Hopefully the division is good. There's I, a good chance I, I almost, all these teams yeah. don't. But <laughs> Well, hopefully it will be good because it was fun. I was actually really hoping that the Mariners were going to make the playoffs this, this past season. Uh, I was bummed that they didn't and they came so close. Um, yeah, it makes me wonder if they hadn't traded Graveman away when they did, if, if they might've 
I don't know. Gotten in. They still got a good deal because uh, they got Abraham Toro, uh, who, who's a solid player. So, I mean, you could always play the what if game, but I, I didn't mind the trade for the Mariners at the time. Um, Where their fans did. <laughs> and the clubhouse did for <laughs> and sure. And the clubhouse. Ryan, I, I do want to point out that you uh, missed the Rangers' biggest free agent signing. They uh, signed Cole Calhoun. Um, so I don't want wow, that to go unnoticed. Um, oh. And then <laughs> the Angels also signed Michael Lorenzen. So even if they do flop again this year, uh, he will look good in jerseys with no sleeves. Um, and he could probably hit a home run or two, maybe not show a Otani level, but he, he can swing it a little bit as well. Um, so ALS. Oh, and the athletics exist too. They're, I mean, they're giving away managers and, and shit out here, but they exist. Um, moving on Retreats to the- give them the Marlins treatment. Yep. <laughs> and they exist. Well, that might be the Nats here soon. I know. Um, I know. The, yeah. But let's talk about the Marlins. They uh, made some moves as well. They signed Avisil Garcia to a solid $53 million deal. I think it was three years, if I'm not mistaken, three or four years. Um, solid move there. Solid outfielder. He's been, you know, had solid production. So good move there. They also traded for uh, Jacob Stallings, who's a very under the radar catcher out of Pittsburgh. Uh, he's been widely renowned for his defense. He can kind of swing it a little bit too, especially considering he's a catcher. Um, so that's a good move there. They are trying to trade uh, Jorge Alfaro, their you know, incumbent catcher before the non-tender deadline. So there might be moves to come for the Marlins. But you know, every team in the NLE is making moves except the Nats. Uh, thoughts on the Marlins kind of leapfrogging the Nats <laughs> right now? They need a lot. You know, the Marlins believe in their starting rotation. They realize that there is a lot of good potential in their young starting pitching. And we've seen it. They locked up two of them to some extensions. One of them got the biggest contract for a pitcher before pitching three full seasons. They believe in that rotation. They know that rotation is legit. So they need bats. They got Avisel Garcia, who is a poor man's Nicholas Castellanos. Look at their numbers. They're rather similar. Um, Garcia just didn't get the bonus of playing in great American ballpark for 80 games. That's kind of the difference between them. That's a good move. They're still looking at other bats. Speaking of Nicholas Castellanos, they are involved in Nicholas Castellanos. He wants seven or eight years. Usually when a player wants years like that, it's the bad teams who are willing to get there because they know if they can get, you know, good production out of him in the first five years or so, the rest of it doesn't matter because at that point they're going to look to trade and also gets butts and stands. They need bats. They're connected to a lot of dudes. And this is a good signing by them. Hopefully it's not the last because they have a lot of potential on this team. But again, the Marlins are ready. They just need a little bit more in that offense to be a legit threat. Yeah, I like this. I like that they uh, they went out and got a catcher. Um, he's under team control too. I read until twenty twenty five. So that's a really solid move by them to kind of lock up that position and and get it off. They've got they need a lot. I mean, that's not like you know putting them over the top or anything, but it's good to see um, for them. I mean, not not good as a Nats fan, but from a team perspective, that that's something that they can kind of check off their list and say, okay, we've we've handled that. Um, yeah, they're clearly making moves. They're trying to compete. Uh, you know, the Braves are coming off of a World Series win. They're obviously a, a, a really good team. Um, the Mets are going out of control. You know, the Nats honestly look like a last place team right now. I'm just just throwing that out there, Yep. given uh, what else is going on in the division. Speaking of the Braves, I mean, they I'll were say, the last two years. Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. Uh, speaking They're of Braves, they uh, are following up their World Series campaign. Kind of a, um, I, I don't want to say 
low risk because he hasn't pitched much recently, but certainly a, a high reward deal with Kirby Yates. Uh, it was multiple years. I don't know if it was two or two three years. years. So it was two years, and mm-hmm. I think it was like $8 million a year, $8 million total, something like that. Um, but when he's on, he is on. He, he had some very solid years, so it's just a matter of can he get healthy and stay healthy. But good move uh, for the Braves bullpen in their pursuit to repeat. Uh, nothing else really going on in the NL Central. So the NL West, which was presumed to be one of the, the most active uh, divisions in terms of offseason moves, obviously with the Dodgers, the Giants looking to repeat as the the best team in, in baseball, and then the Padres, uh, the uh, reigning offseason champions. Uh, not a lot going on. The Giants re-signed a couple of their own key guys. They did sign Alex Cobb. Uh, they were in talks with him for a while, even before they signed re-signed Wood and uh, Di Scalfani, um, but I think losing Gosman pushed them to get a deal done with the Cobb, so their rotation's pretty much set. And then the Dodgers uh, made their big splash and signed Daniel Hudson, which was the most Dodgers move, in my opinion, just that one year, not high AAV, but a little bit higher AAV just because it's one year for a solid reliever. They did that with Blake Trinan. They do that every year with kind of mm-hmm. that, that reliever. But thoughts on the NLS kind of being the – losers in a sense to this point of the yeah, offseason less active than i expected i thought um i thought the padres would be you know more kind of pushing to to shore things up because you know the season didn't quite go the way they wanted and um i was actually surprised they weren't in on the scherzer stuff i mean all the all the talk you heard about which teams were in you didn't really hear anything about the padres um i know they got you know their hearts ripped out at the trade deadline with the scherzer stuff but i don't know i thought they would be more active it looks like the the Dodgers are losing more guys than they're signing. And, you know, Hudson's a great solid signing, especially because they didn't pay, you know, too, too much for him, but yeah, I'm surprised. I thought that the NL West would be more active before the CBA expiration, which is interestingly created like an, an artificial kind of trade, you know, artificial kind of free agent deadline, which I really like. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later in this episode or in another episode, but I love the idea of like, cramming the free agency period into a shorter time so we get more exciting stuff like we've seen yeah the it's it's been fun and the nls is really interesting right now uh we talked about this before how the giants came into the offseason with one pitcher in their starting rotation they've added three so now they're up to four which is good for them um the padres trading frazier he had no role on that team it didn't really make sense at the time he also sucked when he was on the team so it wasn't really surprised they traded him the dodgers them not pursuing max as aggressively as gross as it is might be a sign that they're expecting Barry to be back in the rotation next year which he shouldn't be playing baseball that's a whole separate conversation sorry did you see uh, his agent claiming that this oh my was god created by trevor bauer oh my god yeah 37 year old complete same thing to a 29 year old, but I was, it's interesting. Like they lost Seager. They didn't want to go 10 years for him. They did have the luxury of having Trey Turner on their team, which kind of lessens the blow when you lose Corey Seager, but they need a left-handed bat. Ken Rosenthal reported on MLB network that the Dodgers have had conversations with Freddie Freeman, which would be the most Dodgers Ooh. thing of all time. You lose one all-star, you go sign another one, mm. which would be from the really World Series winner. That from the World Series brutal. winner. And then they would just have a infield of Justin Turner, Trey Turner, Max Muncy at second, Freddie Freeman, which again, <laughs> a super team. Everyone's like, oh, 
the super <laughs> team, you know, they're, they're taking big hits and they come back with that infield. But no, it's, it's really interesting. The Dodgers are just so annoying because it doesn't matter who they lose. They pump out young talent like nobody's business. They're going to be fine. They're the people they signed to be in their bullpen. They're going to figure uh, Andrew Heaney out. He's going to be an all star watch. It's just <laughs> the annoying thing about the Dodgers. Dodgers are going to Dodger. Yeah, that, that's a great point about the young talent. We don't even know who they stole because even after the Josiah Gray, or well, I guess the, the Max Scherzer trade from their perspective and Trey Turner. They still have a top farm system in baseball, so it's just stupid the the amount of young talent they have and who's going to be coming up for them uh, going forward. I'm so jealous of their farm system. It's ridiculous. Although yeah. I have to say, I'm so glad now, especially in retrospect, that it's obvious the Nats aren't going to be trying to compete next year, which we've talked about. I mean, a lot of people were like, they're going to be competitive next year. And, you know, they're going to be fun. I think there's some exciting pieces that we have, and there will be some stuff that's fun to watch, but especially seeing what the other teams in the division are doing it's highly unlikely that the Nats will be competitive and getting with 12 guys into our system, you know, in a season where we came in last before a season where we're likely to come in last again is just a, a really good move. And I hope that they take advantage of this upcoming season to, you know, try to, you know, make some really good trades, hopefully at the deadline again, and, and keep shoring up the system. Cause we obviously have another year where we're not going to be, we're not going to be looking at uh, playoffs. Yep, that is for certain. But speaking of a potentially former Dodger, uh, Chris Taylor, the Nats were are rumored today by John Heyman to be interested in Chris Taylor. Uh, reports are they're looking at multi-year offers, which isn't surprising on Chris Taylor's part because he's definitely going to get a multi-year offer uh, with a solid AAB. So um, that's what it would take to sign him. But it is interesting because he does have a qualifying offer attached uh, if the Nats chose to go in that direction, what your what would your reaction be? I would react to say why why wouldn't they get Chris Bryant instead? Well, they Basically, same eight. Well, yeah, they could get both, but if you're only getting one, I would want. I, I don't know why. I only get one, but I don't even know why you wouldn't go Bryant just because of the qualifying offer. Right, exactly. That's it. Makes no sense to me. I thought this whole offseason that they're unlikely to go after anyone with a qualifying offer, and I know that they were being linked to him, and I'm not really hearing much about them being linked to Chris Bryant. But it, it would, it, I would be surprised if they if they sign somebody with a qualifying offer. I mean, I don't even care about the qualifying offer. It could, it means nothing to me, but it seems like it, it's something the Nats are weighing heavily. So it's like, okay, then just go get Chris Bryant. He doesn't have a qualifying offer and he still serves a huge role in this team. Right. And he's so, he, he's so versatile. That's one of the things I love about Bryant is that, you know, especially in a team with a lot of holes like this one, that, you know, having a guy who can, who can play multiple positions is so valuable and no qualifying offer. And, you know, he's obviously a, a player that you can expect a lot of, he's going to put butts in seats, which, you know, with, with the the likely um the likely record the Nats are going to have this year you, you need something to get fans excited and I think a signing like Chris Bryant is going to be a lot more exciting to fans than Chris Taylor even though Chris Taylor is a great player but I don't know it doesn't make a lot of sense to me so I guess we'll see what happens but I'd be surprised if they signed Taylor the the Chris Bryant market is going to be moving slow he was one of the first people I was reported that he is not going to sign until after the lockout 
the only thing we really heard has been the Mariners. I think like, I can't remember the other team, but John Mercy was the one who reported that he's not going to sign till after. So I don't think we'll really hear anything for Chris Bryant. Mm-hmm. I would rather them sign Chris Bryant. Um, it's kind of makes more sense, but like if the Nats were like, Hey, we're going to go on the budget, which no team should Chris Taylor would make sense. I don't care about the qualifying offer. I do not care. I don't care about losing a, 60th pick or some international right. money. I don't care at all to be completely honest with you. But if this team was gonna, hey, we're gonna sign with a qualifying offer, why not make it Carlos Correa? Right. Like that. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, there I are like other guys with qualifying offers that they can consider. Yeah, I know I don't really care about the qualifying offer either, but I think the Nats care very much. And the, the international money is a big deal to them. They, you know, obviously put a huge amount of emphasis on their international signings, not Japanese. <laughs> they never do that. I read somewhere recently, maybe you guys saw the same thing. They don't even have a Japanese translator like on their staff. So they couldn't even communicate with any of the Japanese players, even if they wanted to. But obviously they have the Dominican Baseball Academy and they're they're heavily invested there. But I don't I don't think they're gonna go after anybody with a qualifying offer. Rui Achimura is their Japanese translator. <laughs> That's they would just have him on retainer. Uh, yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen. They're probably just kicking the tires as always. Uh, I don't, at this point, I don't imagine them making any big, uh, splash, unfortunately, as much as, as I would want it, but it is what it is. We'll, we'll see. Obviously we got a couple less than 48 hours now until the, uh, uh, lockout or work stoppage, whatever you want to call it. And then, uh, you know, who, who knows how long. <laughs> it, it'll go until the new CBA is signed and, and the remaining free agents can sign with their teams and, and whatnot, but we'll see what happens with the Nets. It is good news. What's that? Um, best friend of the podcast, Matt Wyrick joined us, he which did. he did. Nick and I, I sat I down with him face to face over the phone, over Zoom. Nick and I sat down and we talked with Matt, talked all things. We talked the Nets, some non-tender options, free agency as a whole. And it was a fan fantastic interview and really hope you guys enjoy we are now joined by matt wyrick best friend of the podcast and from nbc sports washington you guys can give matt a follow on twitter at by matt wyrick and make sure you head on over to nbcsports.com and check out all of their latest pieces and updates on dc sports and all of matt's latest work matt how you doing man doing well guys thanks for having me on absolutely it's always great to have you on especially you know it's november and a lot has happened thank you to the collective bargaining agreement expiring in a couple days um we've seen 1.5 billion dollars spent on free agents so far and only 24 million has come from the dodgers the red sox and the yankees what does this mean for baseball heading into the collective bargaining agreement negotiations that teams that don't normally spend are spending and they're spending a lot of money right now? Yeah, we are definitely at an interesting time where the Rangers and Mariners are making the biggest splashes uh, of this free agency period. But that's the reality that we're living in right now. And, you know, I think part of it is is the direction that these teams have been on. You know, Seattle has been building towards contending uh, in this near future, this window here, they, they almost made a run at the playoffs this season, but they even sold at the deadline. So they weren't ready. Uh, teams like the Tigers, teams like the Rangers have been pretty bad in recent years, but you know, they're starting to see the fruits of their farm system 
uh, come through at the major league level and they're ready to start spending. So I think a little bit of it is just kind of the timelines of, of where these teams are at. But, you know, we are we are entering a period now where there is more uncertainty than there's ever been. Uh, and it's funny because people are getting so excited about free agency and it's like, this is the best MLB free agency is awesome. We're seeing all these moves, crazy deals, large giant contracts, everything being thrown around. And then in like two, three days, it's just going to drop dead. Uh, and, you know, even when this CBA is finalized and I say when, not if, because I believe it's going to happen uh, before spring training. And I think we'll have some time uh, for there to be a post uh, CBA lockout uh, flurry of moves. I don't know what to expect in that period, whether there's going to be less money to go around and people who we thought were going to be getting giant contracts or ending up having to settle for one-year deals uh, or guys who are in their you know mid to late thirties are getting squeezed out and having to go for minor league contracts. I don't know, but everybody's very excited about what free agency looks like right now. And we really don't know if this is something that's going to last or if it's just this frenzy that's been created by the threat of a lockout in the coming days. Yeah, basically what we're seeing is there should be a CBA negotiation every single offseason yeah. because we finally get the offseason, not necessarily as promised, but an offseason comparable to the NBA or the NFL where it's truly a frenzy and not just this long drawn out process that happens every single year and the big name free agents don't sign till February. Um, but that being said, there certainly have been big dominoes to fall thus far. But we have a couple of days, I mean, at this point, what, 48 hours, let's just call it, maybe a little less than that. There's still some big name free agents on the market. Do you think the, the big names like your Correa, uh, Corey Seager just signed, but you know, Javi Baez, Marcus Stroman, do they fall in line and just sign to get it done before the CBA expires? Or could you see any of those big name free agents uh, weighing it out to see what comes after the, uh, the new CBA? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to come down to the preference of the individual player. Uh, we've heard that Javier Baez is trying to sign uh, before the deadline, but that Carlos Correa, uh, Clayton Kershaw, guys like that are, are content uh, with waiting until after uh, things get sorted out down the line. So it's really going to come down to, you know, the strategy of the player and the agent and whether or not they really want to dive all in or if they want to, you know, wait and see how things unfold because, you know, you never know what the landscape is truly going to look like. Maybe we have you know, these, these spending minimums that teams have to meet. Maybe we have a higher luxury tax threshold. Maybe we have a different set of arbitration uh, rules that change the way that teams spend money and how much they have allocated uh, to being spent. So there's a lot of different factors at play, uh, and it's really going to come down to the comfort level of the player and whether or not they feel like they need to secure their back now uh, or if they want to play the waiting game uh, and try to, you know, take advantage of maybe a smaller market uh, where you know teams really need to to uh, amp up the bidding uh, just to secure the last bit of talent left on the market uh, and maybe squeeze a few more dollars. So it's just going to kind of depend on you know how risky these guys are wanting to be. Yeah, that is sure. Uh, obviously, you know, as a Nats podcast, as Nats reporter, and, and you know, Nats fans in general, safe to say it's been pretty frustrating to see the inactivity thus far and not to say like they've completely missed out. Like I said, there's still plenty of big name free agents on uh, available on the market and maybe they do sign one of those building blocks or whatever. Maybe they don't, but to see them not do anything, even on like the mid tier pitchers market, which, you know, moved pretty quickly. And now we're seeing some relievers start to go. Uh, there's still some, you know, cheap 
veteran utility pieces they could go after to see them not do anything is pretty frustrating uh is this all part of the plan are we supposed to trust the process here or like what, what's going on what's what's their strategy seemingly yeah well i, I think coming into the uh, this off season the general plan is going to be one-year deals you know there there might be one or two multi-year contracts fit in there uh, at some point this offseason, I, I won't rule out them, you know, trying to, to cash a big ticket player uh, and go after a guy like Chris Bryant, who we were talking about earlier today. Um, you know, I, I think that overall, though, you know, you look at free agency right now, a lot of the deals that have gone through to this point are multi-year deals. Not to say there haven't been the occasional one-year deals here and there, but generally speaking, there are a lot more one-year deals every offseason than there are multi-year deals, just because there are a lot of players who aren't worth multi-year deals as opposed to the few precious players who are good enough to warrant multiple years of control. Uh, so if the Nationals are going to be playing in that one-year market, that market's been relatively slow moving. So you know they're not the only team that really hasn't been spending a whole lot uh, in that range. And there are plenty of players, as you mentioned, that are still going to be available after the lockout uh, is presumably over uh, towards the end of the winter. So uh, you know, I wouldn't panic if I were the Nationals. If I were Nationals fans right now, you know, I think that uh, we weren't expecting this to be a crazy, splashy offseason. You know, they're not going to pull anything like the Rangers or the Mariners, the Tigers have been doing. Uh, but not? certainly, <laughs> they just, you know, they're not as far along in their rebuild uh, <laughs> as, as these other teams are, as much as it hurts to say. Uh, you know, the Nationals are, are, we've talked about this before, but they're entering a season where they really need to see what they have in a lot of these young players and give them opportunities to play. And if you bring in a bunch of guys on these veteran deals, you know, you're going to be pushing these guys down farther into your depth chart. You're not going to really be able to give a lot of them full opportunities to show what they have. Now that's not to say, you know, all of them deserve that opportunity and you should have some guys in there uh, to make them fight for playing time and things like that. But uh, I would expect that the nationals go as young as they can uh, next season. And, and this, this slow moving market, kind of falls in line with, with what we kind of expected from them coming in. You talked about the one-year deals. Um, we could see a flurry of one-year deals start to happen as the non-tender deadline is going to happen pretty soon, and they're expecting a lot of guys to be non-tender. That's kind of kind of flush out the market, you know, and kind of get a lot more names in there. Who do you think are potential candidates that the Nationals could non-tender at this deadline? and we could see them move on from. Yeah, well, they've got 10 arbitration eligible players uh, going into this offseason. Like you mentioned, the deadline is tomorrow. Uh, so they're if they're going to want to open up roster spots, which right now their 40-man roster is at 39 players, uh, they're going to have to non-tender a couple of guys. Uh, I would expect them to non-tender at least one or two just to open up those roster spots. As I mentioned, they only have one left, and they're going to need to fill in a couple of positions. We've talked about the bullpen. We've talked about the rotation. Uh, an outfielder, maybe some infield depth. Uh, you know, there are certainly areas they need to add to their roster right now, and they don't have the space to do it. So the easiest way to open up that space will be non-tendering and the cheapest way, I might add. So of those 10 uh, arbitration-eligible players, there are three. No way they're getting non-tendered. Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Victor Robles. I think we can say, safe to say, those three are not going to be non-tendered. Now, uh, from there, uh, you have four players that are projected by MLB trade rumors to make under a million dollars next season. Andrew Stevenson, Tanner Rainey, Ryan Harper, and Wander Suera. Those guys, I would expect all four of them to still be here next season simply because they're going to be so cheap. Uh, they really, the Nationals don't have to 
uh, you know, give up a lot financially in order to keep them. And they can also tender them a contract now and then non-tender them later on in the offseason, uh, like they did with Hunter Strickland, I believe that was in 2020, um, uh, where they not tendered him a contract originally, but as they got closer to spring training, they decided they weren't going to have space for him. Then ended up cutting him. They had to give him, I believe it's like one eighth of his salary uh, for a guy who was making under 1.5 million, not a whole lot in terms of what a major league baseball team is spending. So the team could add these guys onto the roster and then decide to non-tender them later. Uh, but I would imagine that Stevenson, Rainey, Harper, and Suero stay just because they're so cheap. That leaves three guys left. Austin both, Eric Fetty, and Joe Ross, three pitchers that we have really talked about a lot. In the unholy years. trinity. I know. The guys <laughs> that have been competing for that number five spot for what seems like forever. Uh, I think the most likely candidate to get non-tendered is Joe Ross, and will be trading where projects he's going to make $3 million in arbitration this year. But I actually expect the Nats to non-tender him and then try to bring him back on a cheaper deal. Now, that does depend on how they feel about his elbow. He's coming off a season in which he had a partially torn UCL, uh, and the Nationals uh, and, and Ross decided to rehab it rather than undergo a second Tommy John surgery. Where the Nationals feel uh, how far he's come along in that process could go a long way to determining whether or not they uh, tender him a contract. Uh, but I think it's safe to say that, you know, three million is a bit steep uh, for what the Nationals are probably expecting out of Ross next year. So I'd imagine they would want to bring him back on a bit of a cheaper deal, maybe closer to one million, which was his salary last season. Uh, the other two, both and Fetty, both projected to make between one million and two. I could see both being an easy candidate to be cut. Uh, he's a guy who's just kind of flamed out uh, in the rotation, really didn't pan out. Got switched the bullpen last year. First two months looked pretty solid. His fastball velocity was way up. One of the biggest increases year over year in the majors over the first two months in fastball velocity. But he just really lost it down the stretch. You know, really struggled with consistency. Gave up some home runs uh, and ultimately lost his. Spot at the back end of the Nationals bullpen, uh, and they started bringing in a lot of those younger guys. So both, I think he's kind of reached his limit uh, to this point where it might be tough uh, to keep him on the roster. Same goes for Fetty. Fetty is a guy where, you know, if, if the Nationals want to bring in a couple of veteran arms to give their rotation more stability, then you might look at Fetty as more of a bullpen guy, you know, somebody who you can stretch out if needed uh, because of injury, but you keep him there as a long man. Uh, but the Nationals have a lot of young names that they're going to want to see get into this bullpen this year and, and Fetty while being a veteran somebody who has been there before and maybe can go uh, in more situations than the average young pitcher uh, it's just going to kind of depend on the roster crunch as we mentioned uh, and whether or not the Nationals feel he you know deserves opportunities at this point because we, you know we saw him really get a full body of work as a starter this year and you know he had some really great starts I think he had one outing where he went seven innings you know struck out 10 uh, gave up no runs one of the best of his career and the next time out gave up five runs. You know, that, that was just kind of what the season was for Fetty. He was unable to just show that consistency. So, uh, you know, if I'm the Nationals, I think he's near the top of my list. And I, I mentioned Stevenson uh, as a guy that, you know, probably stays on because he's cheap. I will say, though, he's out of options at this point, so he can't be sent down to the minor leagues. So that might be uh, a point of consideration for the Nationals. Now the DH and whether or not that's added uh, could be a, a something that the Nationals consider there. You know, Yadiel Hernandez is still on this roster. He's a guy who's kind of questionable in the outfield. Uh, do you consider him an outfielder still? Do you consider him a DH? How is that platoon going to shake out? You're obviously going to have Soto, Victor Robles, and Lane Thomas somewhere in the mix as well. So that's already five outfielders. And if you were looking to upgrade with a guy like Kyle Schwarber or, you know, somebody else in free agency, uh, then there might not be room for Stevenson at that point. So, you know, the Nationals have to weigh a few of those things. But uh, I would probably say that both Fetty and Ross, and, and maybe you could throw Stevenson in there, 
are the four guys that I'd be keeping an eye on. As a bundle of riches of talent there. Oh, yeah. Big <laughs> names. The fact that we're talking about Victor Robles is a lock to stay on the roster just tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> um, earlier in the week, I told Matt I wanted a very detailed answer when I asked him about the non-tender, and I have to give you a round of applause because that blew away all of my expectations. I came in with notes. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, During that, you mentioned some of the young arms that the Nats could want to see in the bullpen. While these guys, well, one of them might be, aren't necessarily bullpen. We could see them up this year, and that's Kay Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge. Do you think it could be realistic to see these guys come up this year? Um, I'm kind of getting the, the, the feeling that those two guys are essential to this Nationals rebuild. Yeah, and I'd also throw uh, Cole Henry in there as well. Uh, it was second-round pick in 2020. The three of them have kind of separated themselves maybe you throw Josiah Gray in but he's already at the majors so we'll leave him him separate but those three are kind of the big three arms the Nationals have uh, in their system right now that are closest to making the majors Gerardo Carrillo uh, who they got uh, from the Red Sox in the Kyle Schwarber deal he's also up in the double a triple a range so he could reach the majors as a starter next year as well Uh, he throws apparently triple digits at times so uh, an exciting guy to watch but those three uh, have been in that system for two three years now Uh, And I think that all three were in uh, spring training last year. So I fully expect all three of them to be back at spring training again this year, uh, competing for a roster spot. It's going to be a bit of a long shot, uh, you know, especially for a guy like Rutledge coming off of an injury plague season, really didn't get uh, his footing on the mound, wasn't able to string together more than three consecutive starts all season. Uh, So he's a guy that I think they're just going to want to give innings. Uh, And he also didn't have the greatest results. Uh, even when he was on the mound. So he's a guy that I think we can fully expect him uh, to be in the minor leagues to start next year. Cavalli and Henry, uh, those are two guys that, you know, probably need a little bit more polish. They both really struggled with walks uh, at certain points last year. Cole Henry uh, went to the Arizona Fall League and was probably the Nationals' most impressive pitcher uh, that they had out there, but walks were still a problem for him. He was racking up the strikeouts. I believe his K per nine was 13 or 14 uh, throughout the Arizona Fall League season. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, and the NASA are, are super excited about him. He's a guy they drafted right after Cavalli and they signed Cavalli under slot so that they could pay Cole Henry over slot uh, in that second round pick and entice him uh, to for, uh, forego going back to LSU and finishing out college. So uh, those are two guys that even when they drafted him, they were excited about both of them almost equally. Uh, and they both really progressed through the system. So I would expect the two of them uh, to be among the nationals first uh, players that they bring uh, once they start dipping into the minor leagues, you know that they have guys like Jonah Doan uh, and Seth Romero who are still stretched out as starters. They're on the 40 man roster. They're younger players. Uh, Romero himself, a former first round pick. So I think those are guys that you're going to probably see, whether it's in the bullpen or in the rotation, you know, midway through the year, you're probably going to see those guys first. Uh, but then I would imagine after that, after the Nationals have dipped in and kind of gotten to see who, who those guys are uh, and got to see, you know, what Cavalli and, and Rutledge and Henry do. Uh, in the minor leagues, you know, give him give him a bit of a sample size to work with, and then you can kind of make some decisions on when to call him up. Man, we are a well-oiled machine because I was just about to ask about uh, Jonah Don. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know, right? Uh, we've done this a time or two, I guess. It's just, I think we uh, have. yeah, exactly. Um, but we obviously saw him start. What was it? Ended up being the last game of the year, and he had a pretty decent start. Is he going to be the you know, the first guy up, so to speak, if there's like a spot in the rotation, is he going to be the first one 
they call upon or was that just a, it's the last game of the season. Let's see what he's got. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the fact that he's on the 40 man roster is huge right off the bat. You know, that gives him the advantage of being able to be called up, um, you know, whenever they need somebody, he's on the, the short list of guys that'll be available. But, uh, you know, they, they've, they added a couple of guys, uh, you know, in, in advance of this non-tender deadline, they had the uh, rule five draft deadline where if you wanted to protect anybody, you had to add them uh, to the 40 man roster. And one guy they added was left-hander Evan Lee. Uh, who's bounced around between uh, double A, single A. Uh, last year, he's a lefty. You know, he's had some some pretty mixed results uh, there, but they like what he have in his stuff. Um, you know, Josiah Gray is obviously a guy we're going to see right off the bat in the rotation. Um, but, you know, you have to sort through, was Polo Espino going to be in the rotation? Is he going to be in the bullpen? Uh, is Seth Romero, are we still stretching him out as a starter? Uh, you know, he's a guy that the Nationals really had high hopes for. We had Tommy John, really up and down minor league career, but, uh, has shown some flashes here and there in the minors, and uh, he reached the majors in 2020. So I think that we can expect him uh, to be on that list as well. Um, so they, they've got a couple of guys that I think they, you know, are ready to try out. You know, we mentioned before the the Eric Fetties and the Austin Boats. You know, they've they've kind of missed the boat at this point. I think the Nationals are ready to to move on and, and start looking at this younger group of players and start giving them opportunities, even if it comes at the expense of, of losses right away. Uh, you know, these are guys that they want to get in there, see what they have, see how they respond uh, and, and see how they manage a workload. I think that's a very underrated uh, part of a player's development. It's just getting used uh, to the daily grind or, you know, if you're a starter, the every five day grind uh, of, of pitching in the major leagues, because it's not like something you've ever done in college or high school before. The major leagues is a whole nother animal. So it's something that you really have to condition your body to get used to. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to kind of see these guys adjust to it on the fly. Makes sense. Uh, but shifting back to free agency, let's just say out of the unholy Trinity and we can throw Andrew Stevenson in there that the Nats clear up two spots uh, after the non-tender deadline. So that gives them what three total. What, what makes sense for the Nats to start with? Like as, as far as free agency goes, whether it be before the CBA expires or after, do they start just looking at those one-year deals, the value deals that perhaps they can flip at the deadline. Are they still going to go after someone like Chris Taylor, who apparently they were rumored to be interested in uh, earlier today? I believe Heyman reported it. Like, are they going to try to get one of these uh, bigger fish before they all, you know, sign elsewhere? Or are they going to start kind of just doing, like you said earlier, the one-year deals to, you know, flip at the deadline and see what they got? Yeah. I think if you are, you're going to try to get the guy in the multi-year deal first, generally, uh, because one-year deals are kind of, you know, fill-ins. So they're almost like, all right, this is how much payroll space we've got left. Uh, you know, say we got 20 million to spend. You know, maybe we can go 11 million uh, on a left fielder and 8 million on uh, a closer, and then 1 million on a backup infielder. Even though they already did that with Elcides Escobar, but um, you know, that I think that's kind of what we'll see is if they do go after somebody, you know, a bigger fish, a super utility player. Uh, like uh, Chris Taylor, which I think is a, a position that no, it's not even a position, but a player uh, that I think that would fit the Nationals because they kind of need one more infielder, somebody to, you know, you don't really want to go into the season with Carter Keboom and Luis Garcia as your starting third and second baseman. You kind of want somebody in there to push them for play, playing time, even if it's a guy like an Estrubal Cabrera, uh, you know, somebody, you know, because Alcides Escobar is presumably your shortstop. Uh, <sighs> so, you know, I mean, unless you're you're getting another shortstop and then, Alcides Escobar becomes your super utility man on the infield, but you're then you're still left with the question marks in the outfield. You know, you've got Yadiel Hernandez out there, Lane Thomas and, and Victor Robles are, are question marks in center field. 
Uh, do you want somebody else out there? Because uh, is the DH coming in? Are you going to be pushing Yadiel out of the picture altogether? Uh, so I think a super utility player, somebody like Chris Taylor, somebody like Chris Bryant, uh, could make a lot of sense for them because they can fill multiple positions and wherever you need them most, you play them. Um, but uh, if, if we have three spots, as you mentioned, I think some kind of utility player, somebody who can play multiple positions and be versatile, makes a lot of sense for them. I think they're going to go after a closer, somebody on a one-year deal. Uh, makes the most sense to me. You know, I just saw Daniel Hudson sign with the Dodgers for seven million. I think something like that uh, would make a lot of sense to the Nationals. Somebody on a you know maybe higher salary, one year deal, uh, and then uh, somebody in the rotation. I'd somebody just eat innings, uh, a veteran to, to kind of give them stability. Uh, you know, you, in a dominant team, you have an ace, right, who's your stopper. If you're in a, a losing streak, you've got your ace to, to set things right. Well, when you're a bad team, you just need you know your your stability guy. You need somebody who after four straight games of guys getting pulled in the fourth or fifth innings, uh, getting shellacked, uh, you need somebody to go out there and just give you six innings of solid baseball uh, to give your bullpen some rest and, and give your team a chance to reset itself uh, going into the next turn of the rotation. So I think that's somebody that the Nats are going to be keying in on. Uh, you know, Alex Cobb signed with the Giants today. I think that he uh, was a candidate for that. Um, somebody along those lines, nobody really splashy, unfortunately, but, uh, I think that's kind of just where the nationals are at right now is that they need quantity more than they need quality. This is so need a fun. lot. Yeah. This is just a blast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they could, they could really speed it up by going out and getting the splash, but it kind of looks like they're going to take that five-year plan. Um, speaking of big splashes, there was a Huge splash today. Max Scherzer signed with the Mets for three years, $130 million. He shattered the AAV record. He's getting $43.3 million per year. What is your reaction to that? When you saw the news, granted, this was over the course of three days, um, what was your reaction to seeing Max is now in Queens? Well, I think the first reaction was the, the money. Uh, $43.3 million per year, average annual value, absolutely shattering Garrett Cole's record of, of $36 million a year. Uh, Trevor Bauer kind of hit that with his weird three-year deal he signed with the Dodgers uh, where he made $85 million in his first two years and then had an extra third year tacked onto it to just kind of basically drag down the AAV for luxury tax purposes. But, uh, you know, I think that... Um, I, Look, I'm, I'm a fan, but I'm not, you know, I grew up as a fan, but I try, I, I try to be as impartial as I can now as a reporter uh, and, and try to step back from my fandom a bit, but I, I just very don't professional understand. Of you. Appreciate I try to. Thank you. Thank you for service. <laughs> of course. It's, it's tough sometimes with this team, but you know, <laughs> we do our best. Um, but I, what, what really just confused me was some of the reactions of Nationals fans with anger uh, at Scherzer for signing with the Mets. Now I get it. Like, he's signing with a division rival in you know, a team that, you know, the nationals have no lost love for, and you're going to have to see him a couple of times a year. Not only are you going to be seeing him, but it's going to be on days following the day after you just faced a Grom, uh, which is never going to feel good. So it's, it's just going to be miserable uh, having to face him, especially with the Nats just expecting to be bad uh, next season. But, you know, I, I don't think that you can really be mad at Scherzer one who wouldn't accept this contract that the Mets you know, gave to him by all accounts, uh, you know, they were outbidding themselves. You know, they were, they knew they were fighting against Scherzer's bias to pitch on the West coast. So they really had to up the ante and convince him to stay. And that's exactly what they did. And I, I think Scherzer, Scherzer would have been nuts uh, not to take that deal, you know, to, for such a record amount of money 
you know, at his stage of his career, you know, being able to get a three-year deal. I mean, that just speaks to, to how good he has been throughout the course of his career and uh, how well he set himself up for this free agency period. And, uh, you know, I, I think you just got to tip the cap to him and, and, you know, say, wait, good on Scherzer for getting his bag because, you know, yes, it was the Mets, but it's not like, you know, he chose the Mets. It's not like, you know, he uh, was even offered a contract by the Nationals uh, remotely in that uh, stratosphere to compete. Uh, you know, people are comparing it to the Bryce Harper situation. Harper left with the job undone. You know, the Nats had not won. They hadn't advanced past the first round of the playoffs. And the Nats, uh, you know, albeit a contract with the Furls going until he was 60, they made an effort to bring Harper back, and he decided to go to a division rival uh, and, you know, try to win a championship with them instead. Scherzer, Scherzer gave Nationals fans everything they could have asked for. He won Cy Youngs. He threw no hitters. He had one of the most rarest feats in baseball, a 20 strikeout game. He was dominant in the Nationals World Series run, gutted through injury to pitch in game seven and got through uh, those innings to give it handed over to Patrick Corbin for the Nationals to win it. You know, the Nats were undefeated in games that he started throughout the postseason. It was just, uh, you know, he put it all out there for him. And, you know, I, I, I distinctly remember uh, his last start uh, before he was traded, he sat down and, and had this really long media presser because he knew it was going to be his last time pitching in a Nats uniform. And, you know, he was tearing up and talking about the impact that this, this city has left him and how his family has grown here and how it's always going to be a part of him. And, you know, I, I just don't see how you can, you know, really be mad at a guy like that who's really just doing what he feels is best for himself, for his family, and uh, going out there and, and, and setting some records because that's what Max Scherzer does. I don't know why anyone would have expected anything else. I got to say, Bryce said the same things. So same energy question mark. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I, I don't care. I just want it. I, I want some uh, consistency among Nats fans regarding uh, these players leaving. I want whatever. I want whatever is the most dramatic. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that makes sense, especially coming from you. Uh, my last question for you. So lockout two days away, less than two days away at this point. Uh, what's uh, post lockout life going to be like for Matt Wire? Are you just going to golf every day? Like retirement? Are you, are you moving I to guess. Florida? Like w- w- what's going on? It's getting cold out there, man. I, I <laughs> did play like two weeks ago and I was freezing pretty much the whole time. I don't know. I might, I might have to hit the driving range, just stay near the heaters that they got um, at the one by me. But um, we got, we got hockey season, man. I'm, I'm watching caps. I'm watching the whiz. The whiz are off to a hot start. I'm one of the rare. I mean, you can kind of count me because I'm like kind of a Washington fan, but also a saints fan. Um, but I'm like the rare DC sports fan that actually like watches all four teams and, and cares about all four teams. I know that's really not very common uh, in DC, <laughs> which kind of sucks. Um, but you know, we, we we're in full swing of, of caps and, and wizard seasons and, they're playing some really good ball right now. The, the Caps actually are tied for the best record in the NHL at the moment, and the Wizards were first in the East until a little slide over the last two weeks. So uh, hopefully they get back on track soon. Um, Montrezl Harrell is must-watch TV. Evgeny uh, Kuznetsov has, has really stepped into his own. Uh, Scary Terry, one of the best wide receivers in football. There's a lot of reasons to watch DC sports right now, and um, I, I, I know I'm as a sports reporter, I guess you're, you're asking the offbeat question to get me to talk about <laughs> not watching sports, but I, you can ask my girlfriend. It's literally like what I live for all I do. So um, congratulations, I, I guess yeah. I'll take my girlfriend out on more dates. 
I, I, yeah. Maybe that's the correct answer. I, I hear it's a Jonas Brothers season too. Oh yeah, it is. In fact, <laughs> Jonas Brothers, Jingle Ball, we'll be there. Let's go, Capital One Arena. <laughs> oh, Matt's very excited. You guys, I'm very that. excited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no more excited than anyone else. Uh, Matt, it's always a pleasure having you on. Um, we gotta have you on again whenever. Whenever the lockdown, yeah, you're gonna have free actually, time. <laughs> actually, um, when when I take you on in trivia, we don't have a date. For ah, that. that's right. But yeah, that's right. You, let's do it. This is, is an official Nats trivia. Is Nats and baseball? Oh, trivia. thanks this for listening to the show, Matt. Challenging. Oh, wow, man. Matt. I'm sorry. Wow. I missed that episode. Oh yeah, the last three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I usually listen to the ones after the one that I come on, because then I see. I try to see if I've shaped anything you, said, you know as, as the words of matt wire really seeped into the conversation uh, in the next episode usually not so i guess i need to leave more of an imprint matt just very like, assuming of you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah quick recap ryan's three and oh he's quickly mowing through everyone at half street i'm the host so he can never mow through me but uh oh, he needs a challenge um All so right. he, he he's challenged you oh let's uh, go for, for trivia but yeah it's, ready nine rounds uh six category or six questions are nats related and then you get three general mlb so all right either i'm going to be exposed or i'm look like a genius let's get it <laughs> one or the other i mean <laughs> no, we get an answer that's all that's all exactly we but yeah um i don't lose you can ask monty about that he's so a little salty i beat him <laughs> <laughs> so you guys will have that to look forward to at an undisclosed date we gotta let some other people come on do trivia first but you guys can follow matt on twitter at by matt wyrick and make sure you head on over to nbc sports washington and keep up with all of his latest pieces matt thank you so much man and um i'm gonna kick your ass in trivia one day <laughs> oh wait, you're on bro you're on. <laughs> later Matt. see you guys once again, thank you so much to Matt Wyrick for joining us. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. And as Amanda said, it is as always a fantastic interview when Matt joins us. Although he, he assumed that he had such a cultural impact on our podcast that we shaped the show after him. Um, so I, I don't know how I feel about that. He's going to look too big <laughs> for his britches. <laughs> I don't know. You guys do tell him he's the best friend of the podcast all the time. So. Yeah, maybe we got to knock him down. Knock him down a <laughs> peg. We'll call him pal or bud. Yeah. I remember when Sport he had 700 champ. followers. <laughs> champ. champ is so, I don't know. It's it's so condescending. It's a perfect one. That hey, and champ. buddy. Buddy is, yeah, buddy's up I'm there. I'm not too. your pal, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh god! So did we cover all the big free agents? I feel like there we was did. so much. Did we, we get nailed it? it? We wow. nailed it. But that being said, uh, this will be our last episode until the lockout begins. Um, just general thoughts on the CBA negotiations. We've seen some kind of wacky stuff get thrown out there, like some proposed playoff expansion. Um, obviously, we don't know if things like the universal DH will will come about. Uh, just your guys' thoughts on the current state of the CBA negotiations and kind of what you expect to happen from here on out. 
well, I'll go first if you don't want to, Ryan. Um, no, I, 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 think, I thought you were going first. So I was, oh yeah. I, I don't mind. Through, yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly am just kind of unsure what to expect. I don't, I don't think they're going to, they're going to let this drag out. I, I think the, the start of the season will probably be delayed, but hopefully not by too much. Um, I, I, think I mean, that's kind like, of like a contradiction, right? There, you said it's not going to drag out too long. And then you said the start of the season was going to be, well, delayed. I mean, I do think it's going to drag, but I'm not thinking it's going to drag out like through the entire season next year. Like we're going to miss a season of baseball or something. Yeah. I think, um, watching the, I'm very surprised by the way the owners have spent in the lead up to the lockout. Like that's something that kind of surprised me. Um, I've really enjoyed this as we, we touched on this a little while ago, this, um, like kind of condensed free agency we're seeing with this, this lockout deadline, a lot of players and owners obviously just wanted to get things done before all the rules change. But um, I would love to see something in the new CBA about free agency and maybe tightening up the time frame, um, so that, you know, because other, other sports have these really exciting free agency periods and baseball is just so sleepy. It's dragged out over months. Sometimes players don't sign till after spring training starts. Like that's something I would love to see addressed in the CBA, but I, I just am kind of having a hard time getting a read on it. It doesn't seem like they are anywhere close to each other, but hopefully behind the scenes, they're, um, you know, working furiously to get something done. So we don't lose out on too much baseball, but um, I'm, I don't know. I'm enjoying this free agency period and I'm sorry it's going to end in the next couple of days. I wish we had more time, but we'll see. Yes. Yeah, so the two sides met recently in Texas to, Discuss some things. Progress is made, but we're still getting a lockout. We don't really know how close they are. I feel like they're not too close. Owner spending was a good sign to see, but it's going to be typical baseball fashion. They're not going to get anywhere. And then like two weeks before pitchers and catchers are supposed to start reporting, they're going to sit down and like bust this out, give the old college try and come to a deal like a week before college. Um, pitchers and catchers gonna report just because major league baseball procrastinates everything and then we'll have a week of like hectic signings the rest of the players trying to get their teams and that'll be fun but i think it's gonna be ugly um i think we're gonna get some pretty good rule changes hopefully we can get changes to the arbitration and um time manipulation processes but it's it's gonna be ugly overall and i'm pretty excited for it yeah it's gonna be fun any drama but i i think a large part of the uh, kind of stagnant offseason we normally see is there aren't many teams in baseball that are actively trying. And Boris made this point, and I do think he made a lot of great points. Um, but, you know, you see teams actively shedding payroll. Like, I, I don't see a team like that in the NBA or NFL that are actively shedding payroll to the point of just, like, they're just accepting what happens. And, and that, you know, it's kind of head scratching because in the NBA and NFL, if you tank or if you just shed salary, at least you get a good pick in that good pick can impact you immediately the following year. Baseball, if you tank and you get a good pick, that pick is still five or six years away. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's a, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I get there's probably more revenue in uh, the NBA and NFL than baseball certainly, but that doesn't mean there's no MLB revenue. Like Britt Droli made a phenomenal point today, and that's why we love her. Like the owners love to cry broke, but if if they wanted to, every owner in baseball could afford like what the Mets are doing or what the Dodgers do. Every owner in baseball could do that. But you know, I, I saw an insane stat today. Max Scherzer 
alone on AAV is making more than the Orioles and um, one other team. And he's right there with like the guardians the pirates, yeah. and, and pirates. Like it, it's just so laughable that these teams are allowed to do that. And, you know, I, I would hope for something like a salary cap floor, obviously people that are much smarter and more uh, versed in, in that are going to decide that. But I'm just tired of these teams like actively not trying. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think of teams like in the NFL, like the the Texans, right? They're one of the worst teams in football, but they signed like 30 free agents in the offseason. So it's like you you can't even say they're not necessarily trying. So it's just it's kind of like you can't really compare. And, you know, with the, the actual free agency and then because the owners love to cry broke, it makes the players wait longer because they're not going to sign team friendly deals because the owners aren't you know, wanting to pay up this year is the exception, obviously, because the players want security prior to the lockout and you get teams like the the Rangers that are just willing to spend and kind of overpay to get their guys and whatnot. So it's kind of just a weird situation in general. Yeah, I agree with that. I would like to see a salary floor as well. I think it's, it's outrageous and it's not, I feel so bad for the fan bases of teams that simply won't spend. Do you know right. what I mean? Like you have I, no I just, hope of ever being competitive because your owner won't spend. And as you pointed out, every single owner could, if they wanted to spend a reasonable amount. And I think that you would have to phase it in over time because you've got guys who, you know, you've got these guys who own the teams who there was no rule about a salary floor when they bought the team. And I'm sure legally there's, there's a lot of issues that would raise to impose a salary floor when that wasn't the deal, when they bought the teams. But I would love to see that. I think, you know, it'd be great for the players because, you know, all the teams in the league would have to spend a minimum amount and that would infuse a lot more dollars into player salaries. But um, I don't know how they would implement it. As you said, Nick, you'd have to have a lot smarter people than than me to figure it out who know those issues um, more thoroughly. But that's something I would absolutely love to see. I don't I can't see how the owners would ever let that happen, but it would be great if somehow it did. Just make it like 60 million. There's no right reason why the pirates should have a $37 million payroll. Like it, yeah. it just, there's, there's no reason for that. Like there's, there's no way. Right. Like, and you're and owning a sports franchise is like printing money. You are making money every single year. You should have to, I mean, I think it's totally reasonable to expect a, a minimum 60 million, honestly, isn't maybe even enough, but I'd be happy with it. Right. But I'm just, that's like a a marginal step up from Mm -hmm. like where it is. Like the owners would never agree to like an $80 million or certainly not a hundred million dollars, even though that's like the level it should be at the minimum. But But if you could get one in exchange for a salary cap, which I know the, the owners want, you know, it's, it's something that maybe could get worked out. No, a, a salary cap is never going to be implemented. I think if you have a salary floor, you probably, the only way you're ever going to get the owners to agree to a salary floor is to have a salary cap. Players would never agree to anything that penalizes the teams that do spend. The like the whole point of these CBA negotiations is trying to get more teams to spend. And people keep talking about a salary cap. That's never coming. And like the way some teams are acting as free agency kind of hints at the fact that the owners are expecting a salary floor to be implemented. Like there's teams that don't normally spend who are spending because there's implementation that that's going to happen. The lead lawyer for the players union said he's not going to be very popular on the owner's side. He knows what the players want. He knows the players want change and he's going to get it. And it's going to be really fun to see what the give and take is because 
if there's a salary floor, where the player is given up, that might be where we lose universal DH or something like that, but we will not see a salary cap in baseball. Well, I'd like to see a salary floor. So I guess we'll see what happens. It should be a really interesting um, CBA negotiation. Hopefully they don't just sit on their hands until spring, but you're, that's probably what they'll do. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, in all likelihood, at least, um, yeah, I would like to see a salary floor. Uh, it just, you, you had the A's literally give away their manager. One of the better managers in baseball, mind you, not just like some nobody unproven guy, like one of the, he's won manager of the year several times. I don't know. It's just, I, I don't, yeah, that one was, I, that I, one was a head yeah, scratcher. I don't get how you allow that. But then again, Rob Manfred isn't the most competent commissioner in sports. So, you know, it is what it is, but that does it for kind of the off season recap to this point. Obviously we still have another a day or day plus of moves and decisions to be made around the league. So we will recap that on our next episode, which will be trivia. Uh, We are introducing two new contestants this week. Uh, Tyler will be taking on CK in their, both their debuts on the half street hot seat. Ryan, uh, well-deserved week off after going on quite the heater, uh, pun intended, uh, over the first three (laughs) weeks of the show. So Ryan will take a break this week and we'll see if he comes back next week or if the winner of this matchup decides to challenge him which uh we'll see who who really wants to smoke and who doesn't um but that will be our next episode and uh we will recap any happenings then but before we head out you guys got anything else uh no i can't think of anything else i think we covered it all tonight yeah solid episode obviously when a million things happen around the league makes our job a little bit a little bit easier yes don't have to rank fruits or talk about although i still think we should revisit a thanksgiving food draft at some point yeah i mean it depending on how long this lockout goes who who knows what the offseason has we may need we may need the thanksgiving food draft to fill up some some air time (laughs) right it's gonna be a lot of trivia i better start writing questions all right well that does it for this episode like i said we come back thursday for the latest edition of the half street hot seat featuring tyler and ck so be sure to check that out uh and check us out on twitter at half street high heat and go to half street high for all the latest articles news blogs reaction pieces all that good stuff check out our youtube page uh half street high heat uh, trey's been doing great work lots of great videos uh coming out every friday and uh follow us on twitter at nationals ace for myself amanda at a white 7877 and ryan at we are all shack we appreciate listening and in the meantime let's go lockout not lasting too long or maybe lasting long so that way we get what we want depending on uh what happens well said there's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the potomac a new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents the nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later let's
By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. Let's go. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.